It's a Friday afternoon when I join Amanda at her office in Green Hills in South Nashville. A long hallway leads from the door in the back of the building past another lawyer's office and a physical therapist's office. At the end of the hallway, I find Amanda's office. She's there, on the phone, and she waves me in with the gesture we all know so well. Amanda is gregarious, unpretentious. A quick look around reveals a large map of the state of Tennessee with pins marking the many places Amanda has been to court. There are a lot of pens spread over many counties. Wherever justice demands, she tells me, gesturing to the pens. Amanda has just returned from Murfreesboro where she's been dealing with a tough case. The client is facing a very long sentence for what, in a vacuum, seems like a rather small crime, but he's been down this road before. So have I, and so has Amanda. As my mentor Ernie Williams told me many years ago, everybody loves justice until they get a little dose. Amanda is, and I genuinely mean this with utmost respect, a street lawyer. So am I. We don't spend much time up in the high-rise glass buildings that during my career have spiraled upwards to form the present-day skyline of Nashville, an it city, whatever that means. We street lawyers seldom get further above the street level than whatever floor the courtroom is on, and courthouses around here are seldom more than a story or two. But the street is where the clients meet the cops, and so it seems fitting that if we are to represent them, we must never be aloof from the reality of their existence. In this episode, Amanda and I cover a broad range of topics, from her fascination with clowns, born of a childhood moment she only later understood for what it really was, and whether and when marijuana might be decriminalized in Tennessee. If you like what I'm doing here on Ready for Trial, click subscribe and follow me on social media. As long as you keep listening, I'll keep producing episodes. This is Dana McClendon, and this is Ready for Trial. Today I'm sitting down with Amanda Gentry. Amanda is from Hendersonville, Tennessee. You've been a native of Middle Tennessee your entire life. Went to Volunteer State Community College, um, got an associate's degree in communications, and then went to Middle Tennessee University, State University and got a degree in philosophy. Going to come back to that. Uh, then went to Nashville School of Law, got her law degree, um, and has been a practicing lawyer since 2013 um, and uh, does primarily criminal defense and domestic relations. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. Well, so having been introduced, tell me, tell me, uh, tell me what made you want to be a lawyer. It's, I, think you, I think you've made it clear in your uh, webpage. Did you always want to be a lawyer or did that come to you? I think I knew uh, in high school that I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't, nobody in my family had ever graduated college. I'm first round graduate, but for some reason I knew pretty soon on that I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't know why. I don't have any particular like movies or shows that I cared about. It just seemed like something that I think I think I always was under the perception that lawyers typically were financially secure and I just wanted to make sure that I could do that for myself and my family. Um, we'll see how that works out long term. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, a wise man once told me that it's hard to get rich selling time. But it's not to say we can't make a good living. It's just sometimes it's not easy to uh, to make it selling time. Sure. So, And I'm an only child and an only grandchild, and I kind of wanted to put myself in a situation to protect my family and my family's things and assets and estates if it came to it, you know. So. Okay. So you've been doing it since, what, 2007? 2013 is when I graduated. I'm sorry, 2013. Yeah. Um, 
What was it like starting out? How did you get started? Uh, did you hang out a shingle and and grind it out, go get appointments? What would you do to get into the game? Well, when I was in law school, I was working for a hedge fund that primarily uh, invests in small community banks. And so I had this banking background, and I went to a um, big fancy law firm when I was in law school and did an internship with a bank uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions for community banks mm. and, and, you know, the big swallow, little fish, big fish. It was the most boring summer of my entire life. Yeah. Me. I'd rather do manual labor. Yeah. I was, uh, miserable. Um, no reflection on the firm or the, I get it. the attorneys. It was just the nature of the business. I was bored to tears. I never in a million years thought when I was in law school, when I went to law school, I thought I was going to be doing wills and estates. Um, and I, did good in that class, but for whatever reason, when I got out, um, I had a couple friends pick up DUIs and civil possessions that, cause when I was in law school for the first half of law school, I ran a, a dive bar in Murfreesboro. It's called the borough. And I used to book bands and I was real big into the music scene and things like that. And I just naturally had a lot of <laughs> knew some people with some issues. Correct. And so I got this natural flow of, uh, cases. And then it took me a while to go out on my own. I was really timid about that. Um, I, I kept my job at the hedge fund. And then what happened was I was introduced through Twitter. Uh, I was introduced to Rob McKinney. Okay. And Rob uh, introduced me to TACTL, which is the Criminal Defense Lawyers Tennessee Association. Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Right. Okay. And uh, they had a trial college, and they still do every year. And I, for some reason, had convinced myself that it was before I ever stepped foot in a courtroom that I needed to go to this trial college. Well, that was a little ahead of myself, having the fact that I had never been in a courtroom or even had a preliminary hearing, and all of a sudden now I'm training for trials. In the, in the Rich McGee kind of training for right. trial way. That's okay. I'm not sure my evidence professor at Vanderbilt ever went to court either, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was fortunate enough to have Judge Dozier right. uh, as mine in, from Nashville School of Law. But when I was at the trial college in April, that would have been April 2014, I met uh, Eric Larson and I met um, Shane McNeil, both Williamson County attorneys. And they said, Gentry, get your ass to Williamson County on Tuesday. Come on and down. we will hold your hand and we will show you what to do. And they did. And I proceeded to stay uh, and get appointed cases in, uh, from the Williamson County General Sessions Court for several months. Um, I got a job with another attorney. Uh, and I worked for him for a couple of months. And I kind of watched how he did things. And I realized that he was make it pretty good money uh, and that he was advertising and, and utilizing SEO marketing and things like that. And I had, I had kind of a bad experience with that particular attorney, reached out to some colleagues uh, in particular, uh, Dick Strong is uh, Richard Strong is a dear friend and mentor to me, but uh, reached out to them and, you know, and Patrick Froge. And I said, you know, I'm struggling at this, in this situation, what can I do? And they said, you can do it yourself. Right. And uh, so I did. I started doing it myself. And, you know, I start, first started working from home and then, you know, got a little office. Now I'm in a bigger place. And uh, I love every minute of it, to be honest. I, I love it. I love well, it. that's part, part of the reason I wanted to interview you is because um, 
although I don't know you well, when right. I've been around you, you, ju you, you clearly love getting up and going out and grinding out the case in, the ca in court. And um, I mean this as a compliment because I call myself this often street lawyer. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, I don't care where it is. Yeah. You give me you give me an iPhone and an iPad and turn me loose and I'll go do it. I don't care what it is, I don't care where it is. As long as the you know, I mean, it matters how much it, you get paid to be there, but Sure. But um speaking of which that map behind you, we're gonna come back to that too, because yeah. that's that's kinda one of your things. When I finally went out on my own, one of my very first cases was a friend that I know that lives in uh, White County, and he had a friend in Memphis that got a DUI. And I got paid to go to Memphis to represent a guy at DUI. I bet that is a circus. I've been in that general sessions in down there, and it, it's almost like trying to clear security at BNA on Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, it's... 201 Poplar. <laughs> it's, man, it's... I, it dwarfs in size any other courthouse... I've been in, in terms of the number of people they're running through there. Mm -hmm. And I've been in Metro, I've been in Knoxville, I've been in right. Clarksville, I've been in Franklin. I've been, it's just massive. The number of people, the cases that they're running through there is amazing. It is crazy. So, um, okay, well, so tell me what, tell me what a good day in court feels like for you. How do you know when you leave that you had a good day? You know, I, I think mainly, you know, what a lot of this comes down to is reputation and credibility. And that is with the judges and with your opposing counsels, your district attorneys, and certainly with your clients. So, you know, I, I've always, here's a good example of something that'd be a good day, a good day in court. I've got, I'm representing somebody in a DUI and the police officer, in my opinion, is a rookie cop. And I get him on the stand and I cross-examine him and, you know, do a pretty damn good job of it. But when that police officer can get off the stand after being highly cross-examined and come over to me and shake my hand and walk out of the courtroom with no, you know, judgment or no personal hurt that I, you know, beat him up a little bit on the stand. To me, that's a good day in court when you get to walk out and everybody knows that you did the best that you could do and you did you know, you advocated the best that you could and everybody is going to shake hands and, and, you know, go have a beer later or something. Those are my good days in court. Yeah, like back at the back at the Gerst house in the old days. <laughs> yeah, that was before my <laughs> those, time. Those were good days. <laughs> Settled more cases at the Gerst house than at the courthouse, I think. Um, okay, conversely, what's a bad day feel like or look like? I'll tell you my... Uh, my worst days in court, <laughs> I don't have many of them, but it's, it, it, it's when I feel like I've been lied to. Uh, and yes, clients lie to us, um, but really when it's opposing counsels or uh, district attorneys, I've had some real bad experiences where I think maybe something might have been hidden or something, maybe they knew something that should have been told to me in, in fairness, maybe not under the rule 16 per se, but you know, if I feel like I've been lied to, that's when I really, it's a, that's a bad day for me because I, I really want to believe in this process and the system and when I'm lied to I, I, I it just really vastly disappoints me and a part of the whole thing so. yeah that's tough my I almost quit practicing law after my first jury trial that's a story for another day but um, so brag on yourself tell me what tell me what one case or, or or event in this practice of law that you are most proud of or that redeems your faith in the system. Oh, that's tough. Um, 
So many to pick from. Sure. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, the, they will know this too, but one of my bigger success stories was uh, out of Hickman County, uh, a drug task force case where uh, that, you know, they routinely run uh, drug task force on 40 through that. Right. That like 12 mile stretch that they. Right. And they, and they somehow managed to pull dozens or hundreds of people over every year. Yeah, and uh, I learned a lot through that that case and that process uh, about the different mechanisms for, you know, like the muling or like moving money and moving drugs around and how they can wrap cars. It was real fascinating, um, but Drug Task Force uh, stopped a guy and uh, proceeded to, um, and this, I'll never forget this, instead of like searching his car, the very first thing they do is they take a screwdriver to the carpet of the lining of the vehicle. And what do you know? They find $250,000 in cash in the lining amazing. of the vehicle. Uh, like they knew it was there. I just, it's really amazing. Um, but I was successful in getting that suppressed um, based on the officer's testimony. Now, did that make the case go away or did it just make the case very difficult to prosecute? Mm -mm. It, it, it went away. Nice. It went away. And one of the things I was real so, sort of bummed about and I learned through that process is that uh, the drug task force got to keep the money. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought, I thought that win would be like a, a you know, somehow. No, you won the criminal case and lost the civil forfeiture. Sure. So right. I, yeah. I learned that process. I thought that money could have probably been used to to really ramp up some recovery courts in Hickman County or, or do nope. some really good things. They were uh, buying a helicopter or <laughs> dogs or, or some other, you know, some other uh, cop toy. But like I'll, I'll, I will speak to that though. My, my prosecutor in that was so professional and so gracious about, about that. Um, we're still very good friends. And I really, it really makes me believe in the system when, when you can have a success like that and, and you can shake that guy's hand and you can still work together in the, you know, in other cases and, and, and be professional and collegiate about it, you know, yeah. despite that. So that was one of my favorite wins, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what's the funniest thing you've ever seen happen in court? You know, I heard you ask that question on another one and I've been trying to think of what it is. I, I, you know, other than, just the run-of-the-mill people's names being like Mickey oh, yeah. Mouse or right. uh, I remember one time I had like a Hershey there was like a Hershey kiss or you know just various different people's names I couldn't think of anything particular that was like super hilarious but uh, I might I may think of something as we go through this process I don't know <laughs> okay so um, here's a question I wanted to uh, that I'm not sure how many people talk about it much but so I went to Vanderbilt School of Law big deal you went to Nashville School of Law. Right. I've been doing this for almost 30 years. My experience and observation is that if you want to be a courtroom lawyer, you probably get better training to at least hit the ground running at Nashville School of Law. If you want to be an academic law review professor, writer type, maybe Vanderbilt, but the, the lawyers the trial lawyers, the practicing everyday going to the courthouse lawyers that come from the National School of Law have been taught by the judges from the area from beginning to end. Yeah. I mean, I can't really say enough good things about National School of Law. Certainly, I am in the last class. The last class of 2013 was one of the ones that had the, the standard bar passing rate at about an average of about 65 
they've gone down a lot over the last couple of years since that. But, you know, being able to come out of law school with no debt is, is, was critical to my decision-making process. I didn't even apply anywhere else. Um, because I took a couple of years off between law school and uh, college and I paid off all that debt. I think the pass rate, and I haven't done any like study of it, but I think the pass rate probably has more to do with the graduates and what they are doing every day while going to law school than it has to do with the instruction or even the quality of the student generally. In other words, so many of the people that are going to the Nashville School of Law are holding down full-time day jobs Mm -hmm. and parenting and whatever else they're doing. Whereas if you go to a, a more traditional school... You're a full-time student, right? Which that's a you know the the summer I took the bar, I had the luxury of doing nothing but studying for the bar exam. Lucky me. But meanwhile, people who were, you know, uh, graduating from the Nashville School of Law and trying to study for the bar had to go to work every day, right? And parent or whatever they were doing. I don't think the level of instruction has changed much. You know, I mean, the vast majority of instructors at NSL are practicing sitting judges. Right. You know, and this is a funny thing. Or really veteran lawyers. Yeah. And this is a funny thing that happened to me one time. Uh, Philip Smith is, as you all know, a a family law judge here in Davidson County. And we were at a, uh, a conference. It was like a TTLA conference or something where the domestic forum where there was judges on the panel the room is full. There's like 80 lawyers in the room. And Judge Smith, because I was his first class that he taught domestic relations at NSL, he remembered that. And I and he called on me two years <laughs> later in a conference to brief a case. And I was mortified, but he was joking. And, you know, and that's the kind of things that I think the benefit of being that national school law... And, Another thing I tell people about national school law is once you get out of the big cities, the vast majority, and we'll, I know we're going to talk about this more in detail, but the rural counties, you know, your Bedford counties, your Marshall counties, your uh, Putnam counties, the vast majority of those sitting judges all are graduates of national school law, right. uh, not the big fancy uh, schools. So um, The other thing that's true is that about maybe five years after you get out of school, no one cares where you went anymore anyway. Mm-mm. Nobody's ever asked me where I went to school. No, but I don't have I don't have any student loan debt. I never have. I got to the benefit of being able to start my own law practice and my own shingle in the black. Right. You know. Yeah. And that's been you know tremendously helpful. My my Belmont colleagues. Not so much. Not so much. Right. So uh, there's a there's a map behind you, and there's a map in your lobby with pins all over it. Um, speak to that. Tell me what. Tell me what that is. So, tactile, which is, again, criminal defense lawyers, they have a a saying uh, that they say, and it's wherever justice demands. And I've kind of picked up on that, and I use uh, that in vastly a lot of my social media posts and stuff. But being from Tennessee and being, uh, being able to go out to some of these rural counties and see how things are differently done, because every court does it different, every judge does it different. The DAs are different. Yes. You know, uh, I love the opportunity. I'm young. I'm 35 years old. I I love to be able to go out and do different things. I think my favorite thing about going out there is one, you have to develop the skill to walk into a courthouse and figure out who's who, Mm -hmm. who's running the thing. Like who, you know, like you gotta, you gotta sort that out immediately. But 
I, whenever I leave a courthouse that I've never been to, I always ask the locals, where do I eat? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the best food that I, you know, because I don't want to go to McDonald's. Right. I want to go to the place that, like, I can't go if I don't come back here. You right. Know? So. Yeah, and I. And I have found some of the best barbecue at places I wouldn't have found or even stopped if I hadn't been told. You know, you walk up to a place and you're like, I don't know. But then 10 different lawyers told you that's the place. Yeah, I had a. Excellent barbecue experience in Dixon when I had a court. I had court in Charlotte uh, several months back, and somebody said you got to go check this one barbecue place out too. And I have been known to also be in a small county and also hit up some of their antique shops too, <laughs> okay. uh, because of the the clown collection thing. Uh, I have found some really fantastic stuff in small county antique stores. It's okay. kind of like my. All right, so your Twitter handle is Clown Lawyer, right? It's clown at law. Clown at law. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what is this clown problem that you have? So uh, my entire life I've collected clowns. And uh, the reason, this is a really pretty good story. The reason is when I was about four, five, six years old, my dad uh, took me to a circus at Municipal Auditorium. I remember it like it was yesterday. We were, you know, maybe 10, 13 rows back. This bear gets loose. A bear gets loose in the municipal auditorium and comes up into the crowd and picks this woman up and picks her purse up and is throwing all of her stuff all over the place. And everybody in the municipal auditorium is absolutely terrified. (laughs) And the clowns come and they get the bear and they put the bear back in the bear cage. And then they get in their clown car and the clowns save the day. (laughs) Here's the thing about that. I left that circus thinking clowns were heroes. And so then my great-grandparents and my grandparents and my dad and everybody would buy me clown porcelain, clown statues and all this. So over the years, I have amassed a really ridiculous collection. There's hundreds in there. Yeah, there's hundreds. There's actually a clown motel in Tupanaw, Nevada. And um, I'm pretty sure I have more clowns than that clown motel. I'll try to put a still up, but there's there's hundreds of clowns in there. And I was telling you that some of those are collections that I have, you know, picked up in a Shelbyville antique store or some of those are gifts from clients or gifts from family. But the best part about that story is I was like 23 years old and I asked my dad, I said, do you remember, like, I remember being scared about that bear. And my dad looked at me and he was like, Mandy, he said it was a clown in a bear suit. (laughs) And so my whole life has been a lie. I thought that the clowns were heroes, but it <laughs> turns out it was an act. It was. Okay. Um, but as a rule, clowns, uh, typically, I'm not into the real scary ones. I kind of like the circus ones, okay. the ones with a lot of colors and a lot of emotions. Well, it's and- your turn to tell stories, but um, off camera, I will yeah. tell you about the time that I beat up a Peruvian midget clown <laughs> in, front of, in front of 10 or 12,000 people at, I think that was at... It might have been at, what do we call that now, Bridgestone? Yeah. Um, it might have been at Municipal Auditorium. But either way, I beat up a Peruvian midget club. <laughs> so uh, what's the coolest courthouse you've been to from, like, architecture standpoint? Man, you know, one of my favorite courthouses uh, is actually uh, in Columbia. That's a nice one. The renovation that they've done with those giant glass doors. Yeah. Uh, I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Have you been of course, I've not been to Pulaski yet. Is Got that it. That's worth that's that's worth a trip just to see the courthouse. So, and then Rutherford County just did a major, a you know, one. renewal yeah. that's a 
you know, a carbon copy of Birch um, building in here in Davidson County. But I'll tell you this, and it was funny, I was just talking to a DA this morning about it. Bedford County just uh, opened up their new $70 million judicial system, or judicial center. And in the old Bedford County Courthouse, I don't know if you've ever been there, but the way that the jury box is, is the judge is right. here, and then the witness box is directly in front of the judge, but in between the witness box and the judges is the jury. Right. And they're facing. So right. I thought that Bedford County, when they upgraded the system, they would upgrade from that sort nope. of layout. Uh, but no, they have the jury box. And I've not had a jury in front of anybody in Bedford County yet, but I can't wait to have that opportunity to see what it would be like to try a case in front of a jury with the witness box right here. So Pulaski's kind of the same, but um, the courthouse there is, uh, if they if they needed a place to walk in and shoot to kill a mockingbird, yeah. it would be Pulaski. And the, the the jury box is kind of set up the same way, but you have to go ask the clerks to let you in. Like they they do use the courtroom that it looks like this, but like when I've gone down there, I, I was like I'd heard about it. And I was like I want to see it. Mm-hmm. So they found a deputy who had a key and they let me in, and I took some pictures. And it's it's a throwback. It's beautiful. I'll tell you another one that's pretty cool is Marshall County's criminal courthouse because it's like theater seating. Yeah. You know, where when you get, when you walk in, it's just right. like they almost built it because they thought, well, the community might come want to watch some big right. trial one day. <laughs> yeah. So what's the worst one you've been to? Oh, um, man. I, I'll tell you, I love the, I can't think of his name right now. It's going to make me mad. Um, but the Mount Pleasant General Sessions. Have you been to the new one? I've not been to the new one. Well, at, they have a brand new one. Okay. Paid for by your clients and mine. <laughs> Um, so the old, the old one that was the strip mall yeah. is no more. Okay. This I'm, is a brand new, it's like a miniaturized version of, uh, it's just one courtroom, uh, with, but it's all brand new and yeah. it's, it's kind of around the corner. So you won't be back at the strip mall again. And then I guess, where is it that, is it Maury County, not Columbia, somewhere where the general sessions is like. Really, 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 really small. I, I don't. I can't. I can't really recall that. But I've been to a couple of different ones. Um, if you ever get the chance to go to Waynesboro, don't. It's it's the obvious answer to what is the worst courthouse in Tennessee. Well, hang on a minute. Waynesboro is in Wayne County. Yeah, yeah and you can't get there. From, first of all, you can't get there from here. And but that's the one that's up on the ridge. Well, it's on the square in Franklin. But yes, when you uh, in Waynesboro, but when you go there from here, you're kind of dry. You're you're driving along the river bottom, mm-hmm. and then to get into town proper, you you ascend rather quickly up into the town square, and you emerge into the town square. And sitting in the middle of the town square is this hideous. It looks like a bad post office. It's horrible. I think Wayne County's built a judicial center. Maybe I haven't been there in a while. I think they have. But it, it was awful. Yeah. The, the, the good citizens of Wayne County had the misfortune of having their courthouse burned to the ground in 1970. So when they rebuilt it in 1971 or 72, it's it's literally like poured Chattahoochee, tilted up. It looks like it looks like a suburban driveway exploded, and it's terrible. Yeah. Um, okay. So doing what we do, uh, how do you maintain like a some kind of semblance of work life balance? Do you 
Do you have a hobby? Do you turn it? Do you, do you like when you get in the car? Do you just turn it off and 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 not answer the phone, or how do you manage all that? You know, that took me a couple of years to figure out some of those boundaries. Uh, I certainly am there now. Um, I'm very strict about taking certain calls past a certain time, uh, and you know, right now we're living in this COVID thing, but prior to this, I was going a hundred miles an hour. Uh, I worked Monday through Friday. Most days I would be in two to three counties a day, um, with the good fortune of having judges and clerks and my colleagues understand that I could, if I scheduled my, you know, arrivals staggered and every Saturday I would have consultations because I couldn't schedule meetings on, you know, Wednesday afternoon at two for, because I might get stuck behind a judge's lunch. So I worked six days a week. Uh, Had people come in on Saturday? Yeah. And I would have to control it. I would have consultations on every Saturday, 10, 10, 30, 11, 11, 30, 12, 12, 30, all the way till three o'clock. And then, you know, at that point was when I would, I don't really have really many hobbies. I mean, I've got three dogs. I walk my dogs a lot. That's, and I'm really near a couple parks where I can walk, um, you know, miles around lap just to be outside. Uh, and then, of course, I like to hang out with some. I mostly have guy friends, and most of those guy friends are sports fans. And, you know, we would I would get off in time just to make sure I got to see a football game or something. Um, but I like to watch a lot of sports with my friends, um, drink beer, things like that. And then I also typically try to have a, a, a some a, something scheduled to look forward to. That kind of keeps me like a trip, right. you know. Just um, 18 days until. Yeah. Just 12 like, days until. You know, and uh, several years ago, I went to Australia for a couple of weeks, and that was a fantastic trip. But after I did that, I said, you know what? There's a lot of places in America I haven't seen yet. And so I've really been making an effort to go to places in America for, you know, long weekends, Boston or Philadelphia or Chicago or places like that that I haven't seen. And right now, I don't have any trips planned. Um, but that's one of the things that always kind of kept me going is looking forward to I want to go to Philadelphia because I want to go to the place that they fomented and launched the revolution. Philadelphia is awesome. Yeah, I, I haven't, I have not been to Philadelphia, but I, I'm a huge uh, history fan and I read a lot of history. And I have, I set out a couple of months ago to read the biography of all of the founding fathers, the the first presidents, you know, uh, Hamilton, Franklin, all that. And you have to go to Philadelphia after you do that. Oh, man. So the in Philly, there's a, um, the Constitutional Center. Right. And it is incredible. They have life-size, co- I think it's copper, life-size copper um, statutes of all of those, everybody that signed the Constitution in this big room. And it's so lifelike. It is, it's really, really cool. And then, of course, on the back of the $100 bill, that's one of the touristy spots in Philly because you can go and take, right. there's that building on the back of the right. $100 bill. Um, yeah, it's it's a great town, great food. So, if money were no object, I know the answer to this. <laughs> you thought I'm going to have to come up with different questions. People are starting. To, <laughs> people are starting to cheat. So, if money were no object, and you and you were going to get paid the same as you earn now, but you couldn't do this, what would you do? So, you're probably like you said, you don't know me that well, but you probably think this is going to sound crazy. But if I could get paid the same amount and do the same amount of work, I would be one of those people that is on hoarders. I want to go into these hoarding situations and I want, and my boyfriend likens that, like that analogy to that I just have this tremendous desire to help people. 
Um, but there's nothing more satisfying in the world to me to have something very dirty and then clean it. Um, and okay. so I would go in there and I would do the psychological things that they do on hoarders. You, and you I, would you would pry the old kitty litter box yes, out of there. Yes, yeah. and I would be very good at it and I would enjoy that tremendously. And then it would be like physical labor and I'd also be getting a workout while I was working. But I, if I, if money was no object, that's what I would do. I just would find that incredibly satisfying to get all of that shit out of those people's houses. <laughs> all right. <laughs> now, okay. So on us, here's a question that you haven't heard. So on, let's say you uh, on a Sunday, you're at home, and you're not trying to work or anything. What's the go-to playlist? Music. Oh, man. Um, or are you going to binge something on Netflix? I am not great about sitting on the couch. I no, This could be while you're doing things. Yeah, well, I'm saying, like, I do watch some Netflix. Um, this sort of shutdown that has happened, I have been... I've watched more TV probably in the last two and a half months than I have in the last five years. Uh, I'm not great at television, but I... I do enjoy music, and I go through phases. I listen to a lot of uh, hip hop, uh, some pop. I listen. I've never really been a country music fan. There are a couple people that I, I like uh, in country music now. Um, I'm a huge Nicki Minaj fan. Um, right now, I'm stuck on an album, and I'm one of those. I don't know. There's probably some obsessive compulsive that goes with it, but if I find an album that I like, I listen to it from start to finish every day. Yeah. And right now, there is a, an album uh, from the band called Galatinous, which I didn't know who it was, but they did Dolly Parton and a big Dolly, you know, Tennessee and the Dolly fan. But Dolly did a, a a song with this electronic duo, and it got it was on Dolly's playlist, and so went down into that, and that's what I've been listening to for like literally the last two and a half months. Okay, so here's here's a check this out. You may hate it. If you like it, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to yeah. play, you're going to grab the playlist and listen. There's a there's a band called Mute. I think that's how you say it. They are a street marching band in like Belgium. Mm-hmm. And it's like 10 dudes and they have a xylophone and a tuba and a trumpet and a sax and I love it. I already and, love and, it. And, and but they do like house music. They do like <laughs> they do like funky beats, like trance house kind of electro stuff. And uh, I'll put that on and, like, listen to two hours of it yeah. while I'm sitting at the desk. I'll tell you another favorite band of mine, and it's not real appropriate, but their name is called the Goddamn Gallows. And what they are is they are a very, they're very Christian. I mean, they're, it, you wouldn't think it, but all of their songs are, are very Christian in nature, but they are a heavy metal bluegrass band they play heavy metal okay. music with bluegrass instruments right and it is so good and i've seen them live many times uh, a big fan of that sort of are they local they're not they're from i think kansas so you they, have to know when they're coming yeah because they'll come to exit and things like that um but okay um so what may be the last question any cases that you've managed that to this day haunt you or that you think Wow, that that's really tough. That's that's a bad one. I'm 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 gonna. That's a bruise I'm gonna have for a while. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I have. I was appointed a murder case uh, out of Rutherford County several uh, a year ago. We tried it last year, and one of the things that is very tough for me, I, I ultimately lost that case. Uh, the client was found guilty on all counts. 
Um, but what's heartbreaking to me about it is that I don't know who did it. I don't know. Somebody was shot and somebody got killed, but I don't know who did it. And and I honestly even now to this day I don't know who did it. They charged three people with the same crime. And, because, and for listeners that may not be criminal defense lawyers, that's possible. Like they can't, they, they don't actually only have to charge, the, so let's say the trigger man. Right. But. Right. Uh, just because, yeah, right. Like he's saying in the criminal defense world, you could be, if you were present and you even really remotely had something to do with it, you could be found guilty of felony murder, even though you weren't the trigger man. And that just But really, it seems like having tried the case, you probably ought to know who was who did the shooting? Right, and I don't know the answer to that question. And my did they try the defendants separately? I went first, uh, and so the other defendants are settling for far less, far oh, less. That's far, the that's the other right. So like my client will be that, in prison for the rest of his life. The others may do fifteen or right. Yeah, exactly, that's nailed tough. it. <laughs> yeah, that's so. that's tough being. But you roll the dice. You know, you take your you. You, you take your chances. And, and you know what? It was over a dice game. Yeah. And that's well, real heartbreaking, too. Yeah, that's a senseless way to have all those lives tragically impacted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you're, you're very active in uh, the Tennessee Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. And one of the things you do in that context is you, uh, you follow and track uh, pending legislation. Right. Here we sit in uh, May of 2020. I guess the legislature is going to come back into session soon. Um, what are we looking for in in uh, legislative developments this year? So the biggest thing, we're going to lose a, a lot of ground on a lot of legislation, and most of it's bad legislation for criminal defendants, so I'm not too worried about that. Uh, but you made it the, harsh. It makes the penalties harsher. It makes r- the evidence whatever. Right, right. So it's prosecution friendly. Uh, uh, very, okay. very. Um, but because the criminal defense bar, you know, we represent a lot of people that it's hard to have those conversations, whether it's sex offenders. or Well, no one gets elected state representative by promising the people that they will go and lighten the load that is heaped upon child sex offenders or drug dealers. Like that's not a that's not a winning political platform, right? For either party, truly. Um, and it, and this is not a party situation. But Governor Lee, I have been very very um, excited about his administration. I continue to be excited about it. One of the biggest things that is about to come out of this session and the Senate's set to hear it next week. I've already they've already heard a lot of testimony on it, but they're going to vastly reform parole and probation. And they're going to reduce drug-free school zones back down to 500 feet. It's saving the taxpayers of Tennessee like $12, $13 million. Yeah, people don't realize what happens when you start drawing 1,000-foot radius circles around every park, playground, school, daycare. Uh, it, I mean, I, you know, I like to live in a safe community, too. Right. But as Ernie Williams told me one time, everybody loves justice till they get a little dose. So... Yeah, so I'm I'm really I'm really excited about the 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 promise of the parole reform. Like I'll give you an example. Um, right now in the state of Tennessee, right now there are over a thousand people sitting in prisons in Tennessee that have been paroled by the parole board, but will not be released. 
And that is, that is vastly, I just do not understand that, but this, this administration is really trying. Well, what's the point of being granted parole if they don't actually let you out? So what's holding them up? Typically, it's uh, like a class, like maybe a two or three hour class that they just need to finish. Which they only teach once every month. And they can't do it because nobody's coming into the prison systems right now and nobody's going out of the prison systems right now. So a lot of people are just stuck. So a lot of it is COVID-19 stuck? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, But no, but that's kind of typical of Tennessee. If it weren't that, it would be something else. Yeah, there are people. um, But, you know, there are, I'll give you an example of uh, the, the, the probation reforms that are coming too is because, you know, I've represented people in the past that got put on probation for 20 years for something. And, and that is a long time. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to cap that and say, look, it seems intuitively like if you are, if the state believes that you can go lead a, a decent life, um, that they wouldn't, want to shackle you for that long. Like either put them in prison for 20 years or grant them probation and keep them straight for a reasonable period of time mm-hmm. and then yeah. be done with it. Like it, everybody's entitled to pay their dues and then be done. Right. And, you know, another thing they're doing is they're trying to remove the technical violations that happen where somebody has to be at home for their parole officer to come check, make sure they're home, but then they also have to be at their job. So they're going to lose their job if they stay at home or they're going to get violated if they go to work. Yeah. The number of, the number of uh, terrible dilemmas that, and choices that people are confronted with when they get tied up in the system is, and once you're, once you're stuck, once you get stuck in the system, it, it just, it, it's so hard to get extricated. Yeah. Once and for all. But there's a lot, and, and Tactile's not the only one. There's a lot of different organizations um, that are working on this uh, across the state, across the country. Uh, and it's pretty, I think this this pandemic situation that we've, is going to really bring it to the forefront on a lot of our legislators' uh, radars about what's really important. Okay, so since you're the, uh, since you're the legislative guru, um, I'm going to ask you a question, and the answer is going to be the year you think it's going to happen. Okay? Got it. When is Tennessee going to decriminalize mar- uh, marijuana? I, um, certainly every year there's a bill. Um, but it never goes anywhere. Right. It, it, never, it, hadn't, it hadn't even been docketed or whatever they call it. And uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Leader Lambert, um, but he is a prosecutor at heart, and uh, it's got to be up to him. It's got to be his decision, in my opinion. He's got right. to back it. you got to have the prosecutor mind saying that we're tired of this. But let me tell you what the problem is with with le- with decriminalizing. I, I think it will happen in the next five years. Um, certainly if the feds do something, I think that's going to affect us directly. But w- one of the biggest reasons why I think that the conservative base of, of the political party in, in Tennessee doesn't really want to see this is because, and you know this as well as I do, if you're in Davidson County and you get one little half a joint, you get you're slapped even, on the wrist. You're not even going to court. You don't go to court. That same half a joint. You're if on you're probation in, for 1129 in Franklin. Yeah. In Franklin, it's 1129, $1,200 fees, drug screens every month, attorney's fees if you can afford it. Uh, same thing as in Gallatin, you know, Sumner County, same thing. It's a little half a joint, $1,129, $1,200 in fees. And that's funneling their drug task force money. And I think that they're clinging on to that because it's, it's financially 
I, I might be too cynical for my job here, but uh, there's a brand new courthouse in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee <laughs> that, that might have been paid for in part with, um, with uh, simple possession cases. Yeah, so. I, I think it is, um, uh, you know, I really wish they'd get over it. Okay, so you're looking for decriminalization of marijuana for personal use in Tennessee within five years. I think Not so. that you're advocating for it necessarily, but that you're expecting yeah. that it could happen. Well, and I think, I mean, from a political standpoint, like I said, and it's not just on Leader Lambert, I don't mean that, but it's going to have to be the conservative powerhouse. It's going to have to be their idea. They're going to have to. It's They're going to have to at least get out of the way. Well, but they, you know, once, I think maybe once they start seeing the numbers um, on what could could help with this budget crisis that might be ahead of us. Maybe, maybe that's something that they might do, but you know, just two years ago, we're dealing with Rutherford County shutting down, you know, 27 businesses for CBD. Wrongly, by the way. Well, sure. Many of them. Right. And you know, there's just a lot of people that are very seasoned in their thought processes and in their, whether they're prosecutors or judges or defenders or whatever. But once that generation kind of gets out of our way, I think right. it's gonna it's gonna change tremendous tremendously. I think it will. But I don't think big change is gonna come unless and until it is either the administration's idea, which he's already said he's not gonna do it, or it's the conservative supermajority's idea. Okay. All right. Uh, take me in there and show me the clowns. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, Amanda is quite a character. If you go see her, take her a clown. A happy one, not a scary one. If you like what I'm doing here, click subscribe and follow me on social media. I have the ready for trial handle on pretty much everything. Until next time, this is Dana McClendon and this has been Ready for Trial.